Hey, Mosaic, how's it going? Doing good? Yeah, oh, that's pretty awesome, yeah. Hey, uh, yesterday was my daughter's 12th birthday, so we partied hard. It's fun. And uh, when I asked her what she wanted to do for her birthday, she said, hey, I want to go see Inside Out. Anyone seen that yet? Opening weekend, I think. Yeah, what? You're going to see it on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, five bucks, $5 Tuesday. It's the way to do it. Uh, it's a really good movie. Actually, it's one of the best, I'll just tell you, in preparation for Tuesday. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. So, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and reveal the ending, because that's what people do in sermons. <clears throat> but, uh, no, I was messing. <clears throat> so, um, it's a really good movie, though, and it takes a look at what happens if we start to lose some of our core memories. We all have these kind of core memories in our lives that help shape and define who we are. And a lot of times those core memories um, align us with some sort of of group or community or tribe or our family or whatever it is, you know. Like a core memory for me is being a little kid and going over to Grandma's house pretty regularly and playing Candyland with Grandma, you know, good times. But... What that memory does is it helps give me an identity. It's like, hey, this is the group I belong to. This is part of who I am. And so a big part of the reason we celebrate things like birthdays for our kids is we're helping instill in them that they are part of our group. They're part of our tribe. They're they're part of our family, you know, and and yeah, there's a lot of stupid stuff that we do uh, just because, you know, we're Americans and it's American cultural stuff to go all out and take your kids to the stupid bouncy places on their birthday and buy overpriced cake. And yeah, there's there's like these obnoxious kinds of things. But the reality is when we celebrate and when we make a big deal out of out of my daughter's birthday, what we're saying is, hey, you are my daughter, and that's part of your identity. And the goal is that she'll have some decent core memories as she gets older. And, and part of the reason for the annual ritual of the birthday parties, or whatever it is, is we're trying to take time to remember. And remembering is a huge huge thing in scripture. The Lord knows that if we do not take time to remember, remember who we are, remember what our relationship to him is, remember what he's done in our lives, then we're going to begin to struggle with our identity and with our purpose and with our direction in our walk with the Lord. So we've been looking at the book of Exodus, four weeks in Exodus, woo lots of fun for me, and uh, just kind of highlighting some of the big moments in Exodus. Well, one of the biggest is Exodus chapter 12. So if you want to follow along, pull up Exodus chapter 12, and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge your attention span, because I'm going to read maybe a little more than is normally read, but I'll try and do it with a really dry professor monotone to help keep you awake. So so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Exodus chapter 12, 
This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head and the legs and the internal organs. Don't leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. And here's how you're supposed to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words... You eat it ready for the road. You eat it like drive through style. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, which we talked about last week. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, right? Generations to come. So the the point here is that we're setting up an annual reminder festival, a holiday. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And that phrase... A festival to the Lord, a festival to Yahweh, to the Lord. That will become really important later. For seven days you're to eat uh, bread made without yeast. And on the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Don't work at all on these days except to prepare food For everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Are you getting the point? No yeast! Come on! (laughs) Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. I love that part of the text. It's so repetitive, and you're like, man, the Bible's boring. It's so repetitive. Yeah, you got to remember this is a dude talking to people. It's like when I talk to my 14-year-old. If I don't say it eight times, it ain't happening. So you you got a little bit of that going on. But uh, what we're setting up here is a continual annual holiday that is supposed to happen every year. And the first day of it is the Passover. 
And it's followed by seven days of the festival of the unleavened bread, and you're not allowed to work for all of those days. All right? It is an annual Passover slash festival of unleavened bread week-long party. Yeah, man. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that, door, uh, that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. All right? So you kind of have the mixture of you've got run one of Passover where you have the blood on the door frames because God's bringing judgment. And the blood on the door frames is like an identity marker. Hey, not here. Uh, but you also have the instructions about the, the festival going on for generations to come. And so in verse 25, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, continue to observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Well, you tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. Who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped, and the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So you're setting up this holiday because God knows that getting the people out of slavery in Egypt is going to be a core memory that has to be rehearsed in order for ancient Israel to have an identity. And it turns out that in all of the Old Testament, the single most referenced event, the, the single event that is talked about more than any other in all of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And you continually get this reminder from the Lord. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And you get that reminder hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. He continues to say, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Even if you're sitting there going, wait, uh, that was like 500 years ago. I... I was born right over there. And it doesn't matter. God's going to continue to say, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt because there's a community identity. And the identity of the nation of Israel is we were delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. And it was our God who delivered us from slavery. And that our God thing is kind of important because as we talked about in whatever week it was, the, the view in our culture is typically, is there a God or not? We, we don't necessarily, as Americans, have a ton of interaction with a lot of polytheistic belief systems. But for ancient Israel, that's all that world knew. So it's not just an issue of, hey, God delivered us from slavery. It's 
our God delivered us from slavery. So right off the get-go, there's a community element, a community-building element of the party where they're saying, we have an identity because it is our God, Yahweh's his name, Yahweh the Lord is the one who delivered us from slavery, and we are in this together. It's our identity And God knows that they have to continue to rehearse that memory year after year for over a thousand years. Rehearsing it year after year. Because if the nation of Israel loses sight of that identity, they're hosed. They they lose their identity. They lose their purpose. And actually, if you read the Old Testament, that's exactly what happens. They lose their purpose. They lose their way because they forget And I have to be honest with you and say that I've been walking with the Lord long enough now that I have watched, I've watched believers drop like flies. Because the circumstances of life come at you, it is so easy to forget. When you're a mom and you, you can't even get a moment to breathe because your life is being poured into your children who demand constant attention, how do you take a slice out of life to even be able to pause to remember just for a few minutes? It becomes incredibly difficult. And everything in our lives is screaming at us to distract us, to keep us from remembering who we are in Christ, what God has done in our lives. And we need the rehearsal of those stories. We need those moments in our lives where we pause and take a moment just to remember that God has done amazing things for us. That's a necessary part of the Christian life. You know, the key human player in the book of Exodus as you know, is Moses, right? We keep reading about Moses. Hey, Moses, do this. Hey, Moses, do that. As the story goes forward, you know, you have the book of Exodus and then Leviticus with a bunch of Levitical stuff. We'll actually hit a little bit of that next week. It'll be super exciting. And then numbers, yeah, you, you laugh, but you just wait. Uh, and, then, and then when you roll into Deuteronomy, I mean, Deuteronomy is a book that, that is basically speeches of Moses. It's three separate speeches that Moses gives to the people, and he's giving them the speech because they're about to enter into the land that God has promised, and Moses knows he's not going with them. And so Deuteronomy is not just a simple... Hey, uh, when you get there, make sure you do this and make sure you do that. Oh, don't do that. And it's not, that's not what it is. It's Moses as the leader of the people imploring them and pleading with them to continue to follow hard after the Lord even when they move on without him. And so one of the continual themes in the book of Deuteronomy is the word remember. Remember what God did. Remember what God did. Remember how you were not a nation, and now you are. Remember how you did not have an identity, and now you do. There's all of these calls to remember. And the book of Deuteronomy starts off with 10 to 12 chapters of nothing but a rehearsal of stuff that has happened. Because when we rehearse what has happened, it forms in us. An identity, and it gives us what we need to continue to move forward through the darker times. 
I had a real uh, intriguing reminder of this uh, a few weeks ago. I had a friend in town. He lives in Chicago, and we hadn't seen each other since October. And so we're sitting at dinner, and I'm just kind of talking about how life has been since I last saw him in October. And um, for those of you who don't know me at all, which is a lot of you, um, I started a nonprofit organization. And, you know, when you do the entrepreneurial thing, especially when you do the entrepreneurial thing with a nonprofit, it creates a lot of uncertainty with life. You know, it's like you go from the stable paycheck, we know what's going on, to the, well, this better work or we're screwed. You know, it's all of this kind of stuff. Right? But I felt like it was what the Lord was leading me towards. And so I'm, I'm rehearsing with him. I'm telling him all the stuff that has happened since October. You know, and, and it's the stories like, well, you know, our, our student numbers went up, and it was unbelievable, and we've managed to garner the support of, of this church and that church, and this has been going on. And, you know, for those of you here, part of that story is, and Aaron Loy, this amazing pastor of this church in Lincoln, has joined our board, and he's speaking into what, we, what we're doing, and he's helping us. And it's story after story like that. And the person who's come on board who is just fired up to do nothing but fundraise for us as a volunteer. And all of these kinds of crazy things. And at one point, after being way too long-winded and taking like an hour just to talk about stuff that's been going on, I remember just sitting back and thinking, how could I be skeptical that God is in this? I, I, I can't. But the point is, it required me telling the story in order to hit this moment of, wow, God is in this. Because when I'm just doing the day, today, today, you know, it looks pretty lame. You know, the day-to-day is, well, you get up in the morning and... I have to go down in the basement and study and get some work done and respond to emails and put together a sermon for this weekend. And then I go into work and, you know, I talk to the people who work for me and just kind of let them talk about what's going on and help encourage them and inspire them and give them what they need. And then I have to go to meetings. You know, and it's like the day in and day out is lame, boring, and and, and just like dry. And if I had to narrate the average day, It'd put you to sleep. But when I narrate the things that God has done along the way, I seriously just, I, I, I can't help but know that God is involved and he's working and he's moving. And it's awesome. But for all of us, there will come times, whether it's a dark time or a, more often it's just a distracted time, and we begin to lose sight of what God is doing in our lives. And we have to build in rhythms that allow us to remember. And God knows this, and this is why he institutes the Passover for his people. And over time, the Passover becomes associated with certain key events in the life of the nation of ancient Israel. I mean, think, think about this for a second. We've spent a lot of time talking about the release from slavery, and that alone would be worthy of a holiday. But it's not just the release from slavery. You see, it's being released from slavery and given 
laws and instructions and being told, you will be my people and you will be my representatives, it's, it's that element of the story, which is in Exodus chapter 19, where they go officially from slaves to a real nation called Israel. So in other words, when they're, fest- when they're celebrating Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread, it's not just out of slavery, out of Egypt. It's also what we celebrate on Independence Day. We're a nation, and we have an identity, and we're awesome. <laughs> That's how they would view it, you know. But it's also the fact that God broke into history in a really significant way. Right? That's what we celebrate on Christmas. God breaking into history and doing something really tangible in history. They'd be celebrating that. And it's not just that. It's that they were saved from slavery. And and we celebrate our salvation on Easter. So you've got to look at the Passover as kind of the one-week celebration where you take Christmas and Easter, and the 4th of July, you take all of the major American holidays and imagine that they're all occurring in one week-long party. And when you get that into your head, you begin to understand what the Passover is for ancient Israel. And you still have the Passover going in the time of Jesus, which is you know twelve or fourteen hundred years after the Exodus. So in Mark, uh, pause. In Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter fourteen. Uh, we're getting near the end of Jesus's life, and in verse twelve of chapter fourteen, this is what we read. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Hey, where, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat Passover? Now, notice they don't say, Hey, should we do Passover? They say, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations, right? Because remember, Exodus 12. This is a lasting ordinance. This is something you must do year in and year out. So the disciples, 12, 1,400 years later, the disciples are still saying, hey, Passover's rolling around. So, verse 13, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he told them, now get this, this is kind of weird. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where, ma- where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Thank you, Jesus. That's, that's awesome. All right. So, verse 16, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when evening came... Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they are saddened. And one by one they say, uh, Not me, right? And Jesus said, it's, it's there. And Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, It's one of the twelve. 
one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. It's kind of a freaky moment. But while they're eating, right? Remember, it's Passover. While they're eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Now, think back to Exodus chapter 12. And there's that line where it says, When your children ask you, what's this thing mean? You are supposed to say to them, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh, to our God. And Jesus is essentially in a father figure role to his disciples. You've got the teacher who's hanging out with his students And it is Jesus' job to take the meal and say, This is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. It is what we do to honor God and what God has done for us. And Jesus picks up the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it apart, he hands it out to his disciples, and instead of saying, This is the sacrifice to God, he says, This is my body, broken for you, do the Passover meal in remembrance of me. Do you get, do you get this? Do you get the significance here? He's taking the annual holiday meal that has been going on for over 1,200 years that has been going on as a memorial to the Lord and what the Lord has done, and he's saying, do this now about me. I don't know if you've ever tried just doing a casual read through a gospel, and one of the things you see is that the religious leaders in the time of Jesus are are constantly anti-Jesus to the point of wanting to kill him. And it's easy to look at those religious leaders and go, oh, man, they're just a bunch of jerks. They had it way off. And, you know, and, and it's so easy just to look at the religious leaders and think, those guys are total morons who have no idea what's going on. Well, here's the thing. Those were actually highly trained people who cared deeply for the Lord and the Lord's things, and they know that anyone who tries to take the place of God is supposed to be put to death in their culture. You see, they're aware of the fact that Moses taught that if someone claims to be God or claims to take the place of the Lord, they are to be cut off from the community and put to death. This is why their intent on stoning Jesus or getting rid of Jesus or, in the end, crucifying Jesus. Because they understand that Jesus is attempting to take the place of the Lord. And the disciples would know it, too. You see, when the disciples are sitting in the upper room and Jesus breaks the bread and he says, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They know full well that Jesus is supposed to say, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. And they know that Jesus is taking the place of the Lord in the Passover meal. And they know that they are confronted with a choice in that moment. 
they either take the bread and eat, thereby declaring that they actually believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, walking among them, worthy of taking the Lord's place in this sacrifice, or they take up stones and kill him. The text tells us that uh, they drink the cup, and they go out, and they sing some hymns, and they head over to the Mount of Olives. And this, this Passover meal that you have here in Mark chapter 14, this is where we get communion from. So some of you have been around for a while, or you've, you've gone to churches grown up or whatever, you know about this communion thing. What you've got to understand about communion, when you take communion, you've got to understand that there are two things that are absolutely demanded of you if you're going to actually take part in communion. Now look, if if you're new, if you're a skeptic, if you're a seeker, if you're just checking this thing out, just let, let the communion go by, you don't worry about it. But if you are going to participate in communion, you, you need to be declaring two things. One, you need to be declaring that Jesus is the Lord in the flesh and that taking communion is a statement of declaring who Jesus is. That's the first thing. The other thing is that communion is set up as a reminder. Sometimes it's called a memorial. The, the thing is, when you take communion, if you just walk up, you grab the bread, you know, you do the juice thing or whatever, and you kind of pop it, and then it's like, all right, I, I popped my bread chiclet. Let's see what's going on on Facebook. Right? That's, that's our tendency that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say we live in a very distracted culture. And the point of communion is to get you to pause, to to let everything else go for just a moment, and sit there and say, what has God done in my life? And remember. And remember. That's what it's about. That's what my challenge is to you today since we're having communion in just a minute. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for Mosaic Church and the way this community has inspired me. Uh, I thank you also, Lord, uh, for what you've done on my behalf. I thank you for the very tangible ways in which you've worked in my life. Yes, I thank you Uh, for the gift and the promise of eternal life, but I also thank you, Lord, that you didn't just kind of ditch me here until I died so that I could go to heaven, but you've you've given uh, purpose and identity. And as we take communion, Lord, I I just ask that you would remind us, remind us of what you've done, on our behalf, and and not just generally, but specifically, Lord, in in just prompt each person 
with a memory or a, a reminder of something you've done in their lives. Thank you for our identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen.